Hi, welcome to our first episode of Green Eggs and West Ham. I'm Chris W. I'm Chris S. And we're here to bring you a fun podcast about West Ham. It's a little bit of lighthearted analysis about everything surrounding the club. Chris, tell us about yourself. All right. Well, um, Chris S., as I mentioned, actually both of us are named Chris, so we have to delineate by the first letter of our last names. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get too confusing. We're going to call each other Chris, and you're just going to have to know that we're both, uh, both named Chris. But um, anyways, as for me, I'm in, currently in the U.S. military, and I've been a West Ham fan uh, for about a year. Before that, I followed national teams and um, and knew a lot of the Premier League players just because of what national team they played on, but I didn't really follow any of the Premier League teams. I followed the Bundesliga in Germany a little bit, and then also a huge fan of the U.S. men's national team. Um, follow a little bit of MLS, but um, not a lot of – well, now it's some big players are coming. But um, but besides that, and then I uh, recently just got involved in West Ham, and actually, uh, Chris, you were the one that got me involved. Yeah, I've been pushing to get involved for a little bit. Finally got you on board this season. Um I'm sorry I did it to you, man. It's a rough season, but uh, a little bit about me. I'm a, an accountant, uh, currently actually getting my PhD in accounting. So uh, hopefully in the future, we can talk a little bit about the finances of the club, uh, especially when a few other clubs start releasing them. But yeah, I've been a West Ham fan since about uh, 2012, 2013. So just found it when I was looking to get into to football and, and really was drawn by, by the passion of the club, the passion of the supporters. Uh, just the, the tradition, the, the reliance upon tradition. And, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs since I, I started watching West Ham, but I love it and I, I can't support any other club. So glad I finally got you on board and we're just here talking about having some fun talking about West Ham. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really excited. Um, you know, even though the season's a little bit rough, uh, I think it's been really good for me to see how the board interacts with the fans and how the team's interacting with both of those and especially with the manager change. It's been a really unique season. Um, I think, uh, you know, I've been <laughs> a diehard fan ever since uh, pretty much that first game when he got me involved. And, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, one thing that I think uh, we are going to do our best uh, to do is is the analysis portion. I think that's really gonna, where gonna, our focus is going to be. Uh, it's very tough to for us to focus on the culture of the club and uh, you know, we can maybe lightly cover some of the protests, but we're not in England, you know, we're, we live in the U S so it's, it's really tough for us to kind of see those um, things that you kind of have to be there for. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we do have some limitations being, uh, being American or even just West Ham fans abroad, but I think there are also a lot of advantages. Like we get to watch every game on, on TV, you get to see home and away and, and just, we're still active on the on the social media front of West Ham, so it's we do get some of the culture, but we definitely have a different viewpoint. Uh, but we're going to focus on analysis this podcast. One of the unique things we're going to try and do every week is give a in depth positional analysis of the club and uh, a little bit about what we want to do at the board. Chris, you want to tell us about about what we're going to st- we have for us this week. Yeah, so today um, we're going to cover the game recap um, and how we did against Brighton and then uh, cover the board and the current status of um, how it relates to the fans, how we did in the transfer window uh, that just closed yesterday. Um, Also do each episode a positional analysis and this week's uh, topic is the keeper. I'm kind of talk about some unique things and how they set the defenses and um, also if we uh, as West Ham are um, doing well in that field, or if we think we need to get some more transfers. And then uh, then we'll close with a look ahead to next week and, uh, you know, m- some history of the club we're playing, as well as um, how we've done against them in the past and what teams we, what uh, team we should put up on the field. 
Yeah, and I think uh, along with that last section, we're just going to try and bring a little something interesting, you know, have that history of the club we're playing and also maybe something that that club does well that we think West Ham should adopt. So thanks for listening to this podcast. And uh, next up, we'll have the, uh, the analysis of the Brighton game. Yep, perfect. And uh, just make sure to follow us on Twitter at Green Eggs and West Ham. And we also have a website, uh, greeneggsandwh.awix.com. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Green Eggs and West Ham. My name is Chris S and I've got along here with me Chris W and we're going to be analyzing the Brighton game. Um, Chris, <laughs> rough result. We, uh, we were feeling pretty confident at halftime. We were up 2-0 and then what happened? Uh, you know, I, I really like, let's talk about the first half. I really like the way we set up. Uh, at first I was a little concerned. Three defensive focused midfielders. Uh, I thought, man, it's a, it's a relegation six-pointer. We have to go after the win. What, are, what is Moyes doing playing three defensive midfielders? But we really came out anything but that. You know, Rice sat back, but Noble was a little bit forward, and Suchek was right up against Hilaire the whole time. And I thought that, I thought that really offered us a little bit different avenue of attack than what we, we've had recently. You know, I, the best games offensively that we've had recently, I feel like, is when Haller has support and another player by him. And I think that's what Suchek offered. It allowed Antonio and Snodgrass to play off of him a little more. And I just, uh, I liked, I liked how he came out with. But what do you think of the early on goings? Yeah, I think Suchek was absolutely sensational. I thought um, he had a great debut. Didn't score, unfortunately. He had some good opportunities. He almost did with that header. Yeah, almost. Oh, oh. so close. But um, you know, I he offered a lot to the team. And I think as soon as, if you look, notice the second half, as soon as. Uh, we moved him back to a de- more defensive role. Hilaire kind of shut down a little bit. Um, Suchek didn't have as much of a role in the game. And even though he's a defensive midfielder for his um, for his previous club and also for the Czech national team, it, you know, he offered a lot offensively. And I would I would definitely play him center uh, attacking mid in future games. Um, I think. I think besides that, I mean, Hilaire. You know, we had our chances that first half. We capitalized on two of them. Um, and then Snodgrass had some fantastic, fantastic volleys. One of the left foot today. Oh, my I mean, gosh. Huge, just great volleys. I know they were both deflected a little bit off the defender, but, I mean, the power that he hit those volleys with, it, it was incredible. You know, it, I'm thinking about it now. We have, obviously, I thought Antonio played okay. I thought his physical presence offered a lot. You know, it, his crossing foot seemed like he was kicking it with a combat boot. It was going everywhere. <laughs> but I, I thought, you know, he really played physical, offered something. Snodgrass, obviously, on the other wing. And with the way they played, I, I think it's going to be hard for for players like Anderson when he gets fit or Bowen, even the new signing, that I think has a lot of potential. If they keep playing like they played that first half, I don't see them getting into the, the other getting into the team. I agree. And let's talk about um, the – difference Antonio made today because if his presence on the field, I mean, he was destroying the defense. They couldn't, they had no idea. They had to foul him every single time because they had no idea what to do with him. Um, And he was tearing up the defense, which was allowing Hilaire to get in and Suchek to get into some great positions. Snodgrass even uh, was just out there picking up whatever they couldn't get to. I mean, that was a great attacking um, team, you know? And then if you notice the second half when he took him off, I feel like the team kind of died. And it was like, it, it was like we lost our, 
you know, fervor or something. Um, just, I don't know if it's just his presence on the field and everyone was disappointed at that, or I think a lot of things started going wrong at that point. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think, I think he definitely elevates the energy levels of the team. Mm-hmm. I think everyone tends to play better when he's there. Yep. Um, it, it, he's not a captain and he doesn't necessarily offer the same leadership qualities as the captain, but he, he definitely leads by example. Uh, and puts the effort in. I also think I, I thought our defense, although we didn't give up a goal in the first half, it looked it was a little shambolic at times. I felt like our center backs didn't really mark Murray and some of the other bright attacking players very well. They got some free headers. I know Moy had a free header early on. We were just kind of fortunate they didn't put one in the back of the net. Uh, some of it was down to the center backs. I think. I think some of it was down to the fullbacks. They didn't play particularly well this game. They let them get behind. Uh, and yeah, and I mean, crosses, but well, it, you know, defense, I think that's going to be the story of this game. Um, and we'll talk about, get into the second half in a little bit, but it, the first half just, uh, we just didn't mark, like you said, and some of the time uh, instances they got, you know, in and around, I mean, Murray was there every single time and going into the game, we knew Murray was going to be a threat. So, just to let him run around the defense, I thought was was not good. I thought Fabianski had some good saves. Um, if, there were a few times where he needed to be bailed out a little bit, and um, and he was there. And then obviously had a mistake in the second half. But I, I thought overall, I mean, you know, the defense was was the problem today. I think we had good uh, midfield and, and good attack, which is usually not the case, <laughs> especially in the yeah. attacking third. We seem to never be able to finish, but. Yeah, we we were strangely able to finish today. I'd like to see more of that continue on. But but I also feel like let's talk about some of the goals we gave up in the second half. Uh, we really had Brighton where we wanted them, going through about the fiftieth minute or so, and then and then just kind of fell apart. A uh, couple personal mistakes. The first one being the uh, the failed clearance by Fabianski just into the back of Ogbonna. It's it's really rare from Fabianski, Fabianski to get a mistake like that. What would you would you think on that play? Yeah, I was I was actually really surprised. Um, <clears throat> usually he's great at clearing, and I I don't know why he punched the ball down I, from the camera angle. I I don't I thought he had a decent angle on the ball. Um, it was incredibly unfortunate that Albana was there. I don't think Albana could have really done anything because he tried to duck and and you know get out of the way. It, it seemed like. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know but, Murray seemed to be bodying up against Fabianski, which mm-hmm. you can debate whether it was legal or not. I don't, I don't think it was enough to, yeah, to warrant a foul, but it, 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 he definitely just, he didn't go out strong enough. And, and I'd like to see him improve on that. Um, after that, I mean, he did, he did start to make up for it with a couple of nice saves. Uh, I know there was a double save at one point, but in the second goal, again, we had Right after, right after Antonio got taken off, Masuaku has a bad pass, deflected off, and some well, miscommunication between Diop yeah. and Fabianski, and it just rolls into the net. I mean, I, I even Masuaku. I mean, Masuaku had a terrible pass, but it was still recoverable, and we still should have been able to clear that. But then, like you said, we had two players sitting around the ball that each one thought the other was going for it, and when it's that dangerous, especially when you have a player, you know. At this level, you have situational awareness. You know who's around you. And when you've got um, an attacking player from Brighton right there, uh, you've got to clear that. I mean, that's unacceptable. And um, I think that that was completely on the defense. And that I think that goal really killed us. Um, You know, 
like you said, they scored that first time, but then we scored, we came right back and we, it was three, one, and we still were in control of that game. Then they scored that again. And it was, again, the defense's fault. And at that point, I think, especially with Antonio going off the team, just uh, started to give up. And that's been a problem for us. I think uh, past few yeah. games, I, I heard uh, <clears throat> there was nine out of 19 games where we've led, um, or, excuse me, we've given up 19 points from games we've led. Yeah, it's just kind of unacceptable, especially when you look at this game specifically. We didn't even force them to do much to get those goals. We handed them to them, and we yep. let them back in the game. <clears throat> Obviously, the third goal, a uh, little different flavor, a little mm-hmm. little more controversial. So we had uh, – I thought we had bad defending to let uh, their their right set of player – I can't remember if it was their fullback or their winger get in and send in that cross to Murray – no one really gets the ball. No one gets their foot on the ball. Fredericks misses it a little bit, falls right to Murray, and he, he slots it home. I mean, there was, there was some VAR controversy there. Did it hit his hand? Did it not? You know, initially, Watching, I, you know. I, I didn't think it did, but, um, but I, before you even get to the VAR controversy, because we can blame that all day long if you really want to, that the marking it's it comes down to do you have that player marked and are you defending well and it was another failure of the defense we should have that shouldn't have even been a close call for var Um, yeah i I agree with you i I think it i think we as a team could have prevented it and should have prevented it i do want to talk about one specific aspect of this var so some of so it was originally ruled as a no goal because of a handball Mm -hmm. uh and it was eventually overturned despite Really, I don't think it was. There wasn't clear evidence that he it didn't hit his hand. There were some angles that it didn't. It looked like it didn't, but so, several angles that it looked like it did. And what did you think of? I, I feel like there's a little bit of inconsistencies with the, not the rules of VAR, but but the application of VAR, because sometimes they don't change it based on what is called, and they change it based on what is called. So. In that case, they originally ruled a no goal, but they overturned it. Do you think they appropriately apply? Maybe they don't. Do they even take into account the decision on the field? So that's a that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think if you look at how um, the NFL and American football um, does it, you know, it's clear. It has to be so clear that they can overturn it. And I feel like even though there may be some language in the VAR rules, I feel like that's not being applied because if it was called a no a um, no goal because of that handball there was not clear and conclusive evidence that it was not a handball now if it was called a goal I don't you know again I don't see there's conclusive evidence I really don't think from any angle you could tell um, completely clearly what happened so I think you kind of have to go with the ruling on the field and the fact that yeah that it was overturned was incredible um, I think, you know, in the end, I, I didn't think it hit his hand, but in, but it, it was called a no goal. And so therefore I didn't, didn't think there was clear evidence. Yeah. It just seems like we get, we end up on the bad side, a lot of it, whether it's luck or, or not, but, uh, I guess that's all we'll talk about the VIR. You know, that. that's, well, that's one thing too, is, um, when I, when we scored our first goal and it goes to, for any goal, but I really felt it on the first one, you know, we scored and I didn't even yell. I didn't even cheer. I mean, it, it, it's because I knew that VAR had to look at it. And even if it was the most clear goal and fair goal ever, I'm still very skeptical 
of VAR taking a look. And I think that needs to change. I think um, you should be able to celebrate goals. It should be extremely rare, you know, maybe that they take it back, um, like they should go with more of the calling on the field. However, I think if um, they do take it back, it needs to be a very quick, you know, um, quick analysis and they need to make yeah, maybe set a time process. limit on it. Maybe set like a, a 15 second time limit or 30 second time limit. I, th- I think both the FA at the English level and the international rules have to look at maybe from the FA perspective, how do we implement the rules? And from the international perspective, there, there are some rules that, that need a little clarification because it seems like whether we like it or not, VAR is here. Uh, it, it's going to be a part of football going forward. And so you, you need to make it as seamless as possible because the sport is a sport, a continuous sport. You don't have many breaks. And when you throw in VAR, it adds in very, tedious break sometimes so yeah i agree the, the game has to flow and i think um <clears throat> those they've got to be quick calls um like you said var is here to stay um you know i'm not being an advocate to get rid of it because i think that it does make the game more fair just the application of it um because it is so new it's got a lot of kinks to work out and uh, i think you know besides i i think that's that's all we need to say about that yeah. So um, overall, pretty disappointing game. I thought we really needed the full three points. It has us sitting at 18th right now, right in the relegation zone. And uh, some definitely some positives from this game, but again, a shaky mentality and maybe some questionable decisions from the in the second half led us to to drop a couple more points. So any, any last thoughts on the Brighton game? Yeah. So let's talk about the substitutions a little bit. Um, I think. From Moy's perspective, um, you know, looking at Antonio, he knows he just got back from injury a few weeks ago, or actually, um, he was saved. He didn't even play in the Liverpool game because he was worried, you know, he wanted to make sure he was fit and everything for this game. So <clears throat> he's still kind of pretty fresh off that injury. Um, and so he decides to take him off. And I think that changed our mentality. I don't think Moyes could have known that, but seeing that now in the future, if we're doing well and Antonio is at least holding his own, he wasn't necessarily getting beaten because he was incredibly tired. You know, I, yeah, I think you've got to keep him in. I, I actually disagree with you just a little bit there. I think I was glad he took him out. I think we, I tweeted out just before I got, he looked a little tired. I thought he needed to get taken out. He wasn't, wasn't necessarily that he was causing defensive problems because right. of it, but he just didn't offer the same, attacking output but I don't think Masuaku was the right sub it sent the wrong message to the team that we wanted to sit back I, I really would have brought on four nows there to, to keep the offense flowing to have have a little more uh, passing skill out there yeah you know what um, maybe Antonio did need to come off but I, I completely agree it's I'm probably more <laughs> um, in disagreement with the sub that he brought on and for now, it's like I'm going to go on record and <clears throat> I, you know, tell me if you agree with me or not. But I think we need to develop him as a player because he is going to be a fantastic player um, in years to come. And he's already shown a lot of potential. I really think he's going to be key um, to, to develop. He's a young player. Um, he's shown potential from Spain when he played. And, and I mean, even here, uh, even the Premier League, I think he's just getting up to speed with that. But I'm surprised he's not starting. Um, but even if he's not starting, then I agree. Yeah, bring him on for Antonio. You know, that gives us keeps us in the attacking mentality. Um, the other subs, you know, I didn't necessarily, um, you know, Snodgrass. <clears throat> uh, okay, I mean, 
he was, I guess, getting a little tired, but also like, it, it, I don't know. What do, what I see. Yeah. I, so I like, I, I agree with your take on four nows. I think he is one for the future, but I think he's also one for now. And I'm, I'm a little sad that, that Moyes isn't giving him enough opportunities. He's, he does take, when he gets time on the field, he generally does well. I think he was subbed on a little too late to make a difference in this game. I think like the 83rd or fourth minute, but I, I hope he gets more chances. I, I think he he needs he needed time to develop to the Premier League, but he is starting to do that. And I, I think we will see dividends on on letting him continue to develop. Uh, and yes, I, I agree. The, the last two subs taking off Suchek and Snodgrass for Lanzini and Fernals. Those aren't the two I would have taken off. I th- I would have maybe taken one of them off, maybe taken Suchek off if he I, uh, he might have been a little more tired. And but then take Noble off. I don't think Noble offered much in the second half. I think he I agree. We, we saw for, for, he was the most forward of the three in the second half, and it and it didn't really work. So he's the one I would have taken off. But I do like the intent uh, that Moyes had of putting on two attacking players at that stage to win the game rather than just play for the draw. I felt like too many times this earlier this year, we saw Pellegrini just play for the draw, put on a Carlos Sanchez, put on a third center back. Uh, and I'm glad we, we at least from the manager perspective went for it. But I think, I, I think the players didn't go for it, but I think Moyes' intent was to go for the win there. I, I think his, he had good intent and, you know, he brought on for nows, which I was happy about. Um, But I, you know, I don't know. I don't know the presence on the field. Maybe Suchek was really tired, but I would have. Um, let, I think the mistake was made with Suchek when you put him more in a defensive role when he was doing so well in the attacking role. Um, and to me, uh, I think you know Suchek was my man of the match. I think uh, Antonio played great. I think Snodgrass played well. Hilaire, I saw a lot of opportunities where um, he was a threat and you know was was setting up a lot of offensive plays, but. Um, for Suchek's debut, I mean, I was extremely impressed. Uh, what do you think? I agree. I was I was very impressed too. I think the two candidates I have for men of the match are, are him and Snodgrass. I think I'm going to give it to Snodgrass today, just over the you know two incredible volleys. But I thought Suchek yeah. really made a difference on both phases of the ball, and I hope to see him played in a similar role again. So. Uh, with that, that uh, concludes our analysis of Brighton. Come back next for our talk on maybe what the, what the board could do going forward and maybe how they've done so far. Hello, welcome back to Green Eggs in West Ham. Uh, this, we're starting our section on what the board, how we feel um, they've done this season and um, if they're supported by the fans or not. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you that, start us off? I think the board really have at this point lost the fans. From, from many perspectives, I mean, they, the reason we left Upton Park, they – is that they promised that the London Stadium was going to take us to the next level. You know, we were craving European football. We were craving the chance to break into the the, the top six, get maybe into Champions League, and and we were really sold this story that the board could get us there if we went to London Stadium. And I, it's failed miserably. I mean, right now we're in as bad a position as we were years before we left Upton Park. I mean. We're in a serious position of, of potentially getting relegated. I think the investment has been sporadic at best. I think they're not just in transfers, but in other other positions. And I think they've really 
for the most part had blind ear or sorry, deaf ears to, to the fans on what the fans want. And I think it's really, it's damaged the reputation. So let's, let's talk about a little bit about the transfer window in the summer first. What, what were your thoughts on that? It's. Yeah. So I, you know, I was happy. I was very hopeful um, going into this uh, next season. You know, it seemed like we were going to push top six and maybe even more, especially with our our fantastic start. Um, I think the team was playing well and we had a lot of confidence, especially uh, because we, uh, you know, got some big signings and um, with, especially with Polaire up top and uh, things like that. Now it did take us a little bit to figure out how we wanted to play him. I think it's important. He has another player up there. Um, And so summer I would define as hopeful. Um, now proceeding to the January transfer window, I, it kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, you know, I've been following transfers, uh, for a long time, just in the Bundesliga and, uh, just in terms of, you know, certain, I don't know, just other leagues, not necessarily just for one, uh, one team. And a lot of teams already know who they're going to sign going into the January transfer window. It seemed like we didn't, uh, that we didn't, we we definitely didn't have really any signings. Part of that was, I think, because of Moyes came in right before the window, but it we knew the areas that this squad was weak in throughout the season. Through injuries and through underperformances, we knew we needed a goalkeeper. We knew we needed a midfielder. We knew we needed attacking threats and maybe even more defenders. Uh, yeah, we didn't, ha- we didn't seem to have any action until later on. You want to talk about maybe your opinion on the Randolph signing? Yeah, I, I was excited about the Randolph signing. I think it was a good signing. Um, I think he, th- from what he's played so far for uh, West Ham since he's returned, I think he's done, you know, he's a reliable keeper. I think he's done all right. Um, <clears throat> a lot more reliable than our uh, previous one. But so I think it was a good signing. Now, we spent roughly $4 million for him, and, that, and we got him on the cheap because of a lot of other um, you know, fees and things that we were recouping. And then we, and then we didn't do anything. Then we sat there and we maybe, you know, fished out a little bit for some players, but, but I was kind of shocked. And then we had the protest against the board, which again, um, you know, I think we can't, that's one thing for this podcast that's, that's hard for us to see is, is boots on the ground. Can, what effect is the protest having? However, um, that protest seemed to change the minds and especially after we lost a few more games you know the board suddenly kicked it into gear and we had two good signings I was happy overall with the January transfer window just because of that we got Sujek and Bowen who I think were good signings Uh, I would have liked to see probably another one or two players because like you said we know our weak spots and I think we have uh, not we have a little bit deeper bench but not that much deeper Uh, and you know we're gonna have to stick with it now but I think, I think it was a decent window. I, yeah, I, I definitely like, uh, I thought the Randolph signing was a smart signing. I thought, you know, back going back to the summer, we we brought in players that had a lot of potential and were great, but we, we also let a lot leave. And I don't think we, we properly replaced them. I think Randolph, the Randolph signing was kind of to rectify that. And, and yeah, I think he's proven well in the few games that he did start that he, he's, a, he's a reliable, solid keeper. And I, I thought it was a good signing. I thought Suchek, massive position of need we need a we need a central midfielder that can contribute both offensively defensively and uh, as we talked about in our brighton analysis i think he at least early on has showed he can maybe make that impact and then bowen who knows when he'll get into the squad i i think 
we might see him against City. We might not, depending on, on what Moyes thinks if he's integrated to the team. But I thought both Suchek and him were the type of signings we need to make going forward. The young player, they fill a position of need, and they have room to grow, and they're hungry. But we, it was a little, it was a little late. We at the end of the transfer window. Well, if we would have got these players in January 10th, we probably would have about three or four games under their belt at this point and could have maybe turned some, some opportunities there and, and gotten us a couple more points. But yeah, overall, I am not very pleased with the board. We were kind of sold some false promises and the only times they'd seem to do anything good for the, the fans is reactionary. And when, when it builds up, to the point of protest. So uh, we won't, we won't talk about it too much. We don't, obviously the, the stadium situation, we, we don't experience as much and the away travel and just the whole kind of culture around Stratford versus, versus the old Upton park. And yeah, but I think, I think let's talk about some things maybe we would do as the board. Sure. Um, that's a good question. Let's see. What would we do as the board? I think you've got to get the fans back into it. I think, um, you know, Lester uh, heard reports of them buying a pint at the game for fans, and that, you know, would really endear the fans, I think, especially West Ham fans, um, to the board. And, and that's just a nice gesture. I think you've got to provide transportation to away games because the fans are such a huge part of um, the team and, and the energy of that team when they're on the field. Um, another thing is the the media team. I would I would try to form them more into endearing us to this new stadium. I think if you, you put videos out like defend our home or like this is our home, you know, and you've got some of the players in um, these kind of like epic poses, um, <clears throat> really, you know, putting that stuff out there instead of this. Uh, you know, maybe a look back to 1968 or when we had a fantastic goal. And then now, you know, you can compare that to this team and you're like, well, there's no hope. You know, we we're good back then. Now we're not good. I, I think that's hurting us. And so I think you've got to put, um, you know, maybe something to help us into your stadium. And then uh, just one more other thing I think that I would do, um, maybe hold hold events that are funded by the board, you know, or funded by the club. Um, maybe have a player speak or something like that. And you know, do it pretty regularly because right now the board has lost the fans. Uh, yeah, they absolutely have. <laughs> I, I agree. I think small gestures that really, in the grand scheme of things, don't cost a lot of money uh, can can do a lot. I mean, we always complain about the board being cheap, but a lot of it's showing that they actually do care about the fans. I think like buying the pints a great idea. Away travel really is not that expensive compared to what it can bring. I mean, if you can get the full allotment of fans there safely and, and have a good time and then bring them back, think of how strong of, of a boost that is to our, our team. And then uh, I think the, the media, yeah, the media team has a lot of gaffes. I think we both listened to the West Ham way. Great, great show hosted by X and Dave. I think you know, they were some of the big reasons we got into podcasting and, X kind of talked about the media team. He doesn't think there's a single West Ham fan among them. And I, I think that's a big problem. I think their their actions have kind of shown like a lack of awareness of what the fans desire. And the kind of the, the goofy stuff that they post is sometimes okay, but they have to know when to post it. It's You don't post it after a massive loss. You don't post it when, you know... Uh, 
the callousness of someone Wilshire, someone we've a lot of the fans are really angry at right now because it seems like injury after injury, never getting closer to coming back and just collecting a big wage. And they have the video of him in the in the tumble dryer, you know, having a, like laughing it off. And like, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to see the players are having a good time. Like, I think that's important to the morale. But I also think that we want to see the the players work hard. And I think the media team doesn't always give the best picture of what's going on behind the scenes yeah I think they also the board just they're they're a little too slow to react in my opinion I think being a little more a little more proactive in trying to get the fans is good so I think I think that we've kind of let you uh any closing thoughts on the board that's my two tenths I'd say I'm leaning board out but I I don't know how much difference that makes this point and I I just I hope given all the situation we have right now that that they can make some practical changes and try and get the fans back into it any last thoughts Chris yeah I I agree I think I'm leaning board out um, but like you said it's not going to make a difference for this season and so that's why I think it's important for the board to um, try to really get you know the fans back kind of supporting them they did have two well three including the goalkeeper good transfers I'm excited to see what they do Um, I'm like I said I'm not super upset about the January transfer window I think we could have done a little bit better but in the end that we did get some good players. Um, the one other thing that I would say is, um, you know, how many scouts do we have at the club? I mean, it seems like, uh, it seems like all, a lot of other teams like Leicester, for instance, who has a fantastic structure um, uh, up and down, but, but they have so many scouts looking and, and analyzing each player and who they need, what positions they need, you know, and, and kind of uh, seeking those out. And I feel like we just, uh, we're really lacking in that area. Yeah, I mean, I think they've they've practically built two successful teams in in the time it's taken us since we moved to the London Stadium. I mean, they had the team that miraculously won the title, built around Vardy and Conte and Mares, and the bones of that team really are gone now. They're a lot of the players retired or moved on. Really, Vardy's the Vardy and Schmeichel or Casper Schmeichel are the only two that are left over from that for the most part, but they've been able to, through the scouting, not even spend, not spending a ton of money, but just scouting, built up another strong team that's in a, in a good position and fighting for European football right now. So uh, it's, it definitely goes to show what a strong infrastructure could do to the team. And I think that's something that the board can do. All right, well, coming back after this, we're going to talk about the goalkeeper position and give our little spin on uh, what maybe makes our podcast unique. All right, this is one of our little unique sections we like to do. We're going to do every week. We're going to take a look at a one position each episode in depth, maybe what what the role is for on the field and uh, what what players we have in the club currently and how they fill the needs of the club. So this week, we're going to kick it off with goalkeeper. Chris, tell me a little bit about the goalkeeper position. Yeah, so uh, goalkeeper, you know, you could say any position is incredibly important, but goalkeeper really sets the tone uh, mainly for the team, but also uh, for the defense, especially. And um, I think a lot of people don't realize how involved the keeper is in setting up that defense. Um, You know, if you see after uh, he gets the ball and uh, maybe kicks it off somewhere or throws it, he's, he's instructing the defenders, Hey, you know, cover this side more, push him wide, push him some, you know, um, maybe get help or, or watch the overrun or something. 
Um, and a lot of people, I think, just uh, just don't realize that. Another thing, too, is on um, direct kicks and uh, and sometimes corners, but mainly it's the free kicks. Um, you know, you'll see a, a wall put up, and the keeper there. You'll see them look back towards the keeper, and um, as they're looking back, the keeper's directing them. Hey, you know, I need you to cover. Usually, it's the near post, so um, or cover a certain angle that the keeper uh, thinks is going to give him a little bit of trouble. So he's shifting him left or right. Yeah, I think definitely the the relationship between the keeper and the defense is key. I think it it, it makes a, it makes a lot of difference. I think we saw that with Roberto when he stepped in that uh, the defense just really didn't trust him. He didn't have a command of the defense. There was a lot of miscommunication especially on set pieces and corners that that led to a lot of really preventable goals and, and it just it's really deflating when you see a miscommunication uh, lead to a goal. We saw that today, even in the Brighton game with Fabianski and, and Diop, not really, no one really claiming the ball. And, and it led to one of the most frustrating goals of the season. Uh, but I think, uh, I think a, a command of the defense is, is good. Sure. And um, so Chris, what do you think of uh, our current status in terms of what keepers we have? Do you think it's sufficient? Do you think um, we're lacking anywhere in that? Yeah, so let me just take you through the keepers we have on the roster. Obviously, we have Fabianski, our clear number one. Uh, the Polish, you know, the Polish brick wall. He's 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 done great. I think we also have uh, the new signing of Darren Randolph. He's second stint at the club. He's you know shown a lot to, for us in the past, and uh, and hopefully show a lot here. We have David Martin, who you know, son of the the West Ham great Alvin Martin, and and just he has shown to be at least a serviceable keeper. He's had some good games, some not good games. Uh, and then a couple, a couple of the younger players we have, uh, Nathan Trott, who's the 21-year-old currently on loan at AFC Wimbledon, played mostly for our, for our youth teams until this season. And then Joseph Anang, who is about the 19-year-old, relatively new to the club, I think only been here about two years or so, but, but has a lot of promise. And uh, I know X talks about the they rave about him a lot. So I think, I think we have kind of a broad spectrum of keepers. I think our three senior keepers, I am a little worried. They're all above 30 and, you know, the goalkeeper position you can play late into your thirties, but I think, uh, I I can't see much more than two or three years for each of them left, but I want to talk to us what, who you like, who you don't like, what things you, equalities you see in them yeah i agree i think um you know right now we've got good keepers i'm excited um, to especially with our um, randolph signing i i think we've got a good backup and martin i think to played uh, pretty well when when he had his chance so uh, you know like you said they're a little bit older um we but i do think we have a few years on them and i don't believe those are the positions uh, we should focus on yet i think uh you know we've got some young keepers like you said uh, a 19 year old um, that was showing some promise and, and he hasn't really gotten a great chance in the premier league yet, but I think his time's coming and perhaps he can, um, take the number one, but at least, you know, replace. So. Yeah, I, I definitely think, um, that we have solid senior options at this point. I think even if we sustain an injury, we, we can at least keep it afloat with what we have. I, I would like to see in the next couple season or two, give, maybe keep loaning Trot out, give him first team experience in, in, you know, the full professional football, whether it's in league one, like he is now, or, 
or even maybe a championship team next year if they take him. And I think maybe same for Aying if he can get if he can get some real professional experience on loan before. So we just we have a better grasp of maybe what they're capable of. And if if we have have the answer internally, or if we're going to need to go to the transfer market in the next couple of years. All right. I think that concludes our section for our positional analysis. Next up, we have a look ahead at next week. We're playing Man City. We'll give you a little bit of history, what um, positions we think uh, are we should set up and how uh, we should go about the game. All right. In this section, we're going to take a little in-depth look at our next opponent, which is Man City. Man City. We play them on Sunday. And Chris, what do you got for us? All right. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about the history. Um, they're actually 140 years old and um, they're rated as the fifth most valuable club in the world um, by Forbes, which, <laughs> you know, that's a, a daunting task. Uh, they can, they have a lot of uh, big money coming to their club. Uh, they've got a lot of outside ownership, um, including people from China, Emirates, uh, Spain, Spanish and British directors, and as well as Americans. So um, there's a lot of money coming to that club. Um, last time they were relegated was the 2001-2002 season, and uh, they've become a powerhouse um current manager is pep uh, gardola and uh, chris what do you uh what do you have on him yeah i mean ever since the big money uh investors came in they've really been pretty successful and won won some premier league titles even you know pellegrini was had success there but i think really Guardiola is the best manager they've had in this current run he establishes a really strong team has a very defined play style and really imposes his will on the culture of that club I think they, uh, speaking of maybe one of the things that West Ham can bring in that Pep and Man City do is their their transfer policy. They have a very defined look at what each position on the field should be like. Pep knows how they fit into the system and they send their scouts out to find a pos- the position of need, that type of player, and a player that can really grow into the position. And, and the way they do it, is they never have to they never have to rely on them immediately. And speaking of that, uh, it's it's worked. Our last five meetings with them um, have all gone their way. Um, we've got all with uh, three or more goal differential, except for one game, and that <laughs> speaks to the power of their team. Um, you know, we needed a few players in our transfer window, and um, I wouldn't say we filled all of those needs, but we did uh, did well. Um, however, Man City knows exactly what they need. Yeah, I mean, we typically, the last couple of years, we've bought out of desperation. And, and we even though we like some of the signings we have, a lot of times it's it's not at the right time and it's not not ready. Whereas Man City, they really plan out into the future. And they're never, they're never left with a situation where, like, for us, Fabianski w- went out and we lost several games in a row. They always have someone to come right in. So I think it's going to be a really tough game for us. How do you think we should set up our teams? Yeah, that's a good, uh, good question. So... I think I'd start Fabianski in goal. That's a pretty obvious one. Um, based on today's performance, um, I'd probably start a Cresswell, Balbuena, and Fredericks in the back. Um, then have Rice and Noble as defensive midfields. I think you've got to play a little bit more defensively against Man City. Um, we've got you know a goal differential of um, they have 38 and we've got negative 13 um, besides today's game. So, I mean, they, they score a lot of goals. Um, <clears throat> So I think you've got to step a little bit more defensively. I'd put Fernals on the left and Snodgrass on the right for midfield, Suchek in attacking midfield. Then I'd start Hilaire and Bowen. I think, um, you know, when we played Liverpool, uh, we saw uh, Ngaki, which was a fantastic defender that um, really had a great debut. Now, 
I think Man City is a great time to to try Bowen out and see what he can do. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think uh, we need to have, I won't say a full park the bus mentality, but at least a strong back line. I think I'd really go with the same back four we had today with the exception. I'd take out Ogbana and put in Babuena. I think Ogbana just showed a little bit too erratic behavior today. He'd come up a little bit too much. He sometimes wouldn't pay attention and a guy would get behind him. So I'd do uh, Cresswell, Diop, Balbuena, and Fredericks in the back. I, I think we really got to set a strong midfield. I think Rice, obviously, he's didn't have the best of games today, but I think I think you have to have him in every side you choose. And I think Suchek as well. I'd like to see, I'd like to see Fornals be a little bit in front of him. So give Suchek maybe not all their attacking responsibility, but for now's there. Um, I don't, I put Hilaire up top and on, on the right and left wing, I think Antonio's physical presence, you're going to need that against a team like city. And I also think that st- scoring two goals today, you can't take out Snodgrass. So that's, that's what I'd go probably kind of a four, three, three formation. You know, it, it drops Mark Noble, but I didn't think he played as well today. And I think he's a little too slow to keep up with some of the speed that man city has. I think that's a, a good analysis. Uh, I think, you know, I, I had Noble in my team, but you're right. He really couldn't keep up. Um, I, I would, I would, you know, play with the idea of starting Suchek there. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what David Moyes does. Um, it, some players I think that we need to look out for and just to be aware of are um, Kevin De Bruyne, who plays for the Belgian national team. Um, and you've got Sergio Aguero also on Man City. And those players are incredible incredible players um uh, you know you've i don't like playing uh man-to-man in marking but depending on how much of a threat they are we've got to make sure we're controlling that um defensive part of our midfield yeah yeah we really we got to watch out for aguero he scored a ton of goals and then we really can't we can't let de bruyne slip behind our our midfield so he he's really deadly with the pass he can score some too so i think i think we got a tough road ahead of us do you got your predictions for the score yeah, you know, I'm. Last time it turned out to be a five-zero, so I think this time I'm hoping we can hold them three-zero. I think we did a good job against uh, Liverpool, holding them down a little bit. And if we go with the defensive mindset, I think we can call it three-zero. But I think it's going to be a loss for us, three-zero. Yeah, I, I definitely think I think it's going to be a loss for us. Sadly, I think if we play as well as we played offensively in the first half, I think we're going to get a goal. But I think our defense is probably going to give up three. So it's about three-one loss for me. But. I, Another um, interesting thing is uh, they really don't have too many injuries. They've had two players out over the past few weeks, but both are expected to return for the West Ham game. Um, what's unfortunate, it's good for their players, but unfortunate for us that uh, we're playing a very strong and healthy man city. And, you know, that speaks to their transfers in terms of um, getting very consistent, uh, consistent and reliable players. And, yeah. Um, the game's on Sunday at 10.30 Central Time for American fans, and it turns out to be late afternoon in the UK. It's also a way for West Ham. I think, how's that going to affect us? Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, they they do have some pretty good do have a pretty good home support, but whether it be at the London Stadium or, or at Man City, I, I think it's going to be a tough game for us. But you know, we really have to start picking up points any way we can. So uh, that's not a great outlook, but. It's yeah, what it is. And, um, I, you know, hope for the best, but I will see how we do. And I, that concludes our show, Green Eggs and West Ham. I appreciate yeah. you listening, and uh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, 
love, love to have you with us. Glad just we could have some fun doing this and, and hope you guys keep listening to the show.